Welcome to September's Open Systems Insights, sponsored by Lidos. Now here's your host, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today, Jamie Stevenson, Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lidos. Now, Lidos has a track record of helping integrate existing complex systems in many areas of the federal government. Lidos attributes success to using a concept called open systems. Let's try to define some terms and, and maybe figure out what this term means. So, Jamie, open systems, open source, I'm all confused. Yeah, so let's start with open systems. Open systems is really a methodology for designing and architecting a complex system. And basically what you want to do is expose the interfaces so that it makes it easier for new capabilities to be integrated into the system. So it's really a system architecture type effort. Open source refers to a collection of software where people put their software out into an open space where you can freely take it, modify it, and the deal is that you put the modified software back into that open source. And the whole objective here is to reduce cost. So what happens is we know in technology there's going to be a lot of changes and innovation. So how do you prepare for that by making the system modular or open? Absolutely. All of our customers have realized that maintaining some of these complex systems can become very costly if they're not done properly. So across the Army, Navy, and Air Force, they are all looking for open systems. It makes it easier to integrate new capabilities. They make them easier to maintain. And when things get easier, they become less costly. Conversation we had, uh, I think last week, talked about uh, faster, better, cheaper. And that's the whole objective here. I mean, the huge organizations like the Navy are trying to figure out a better way to accomplish things. And if you have an open system, it dawned on me, that open system makes for open competition as well, doesn't it? Keeps everyone honest. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, when you get an open system, you really open up your business model as well. Uh, if you look traditionally, some of these big complex systems have been developed and provided by one company. And then when you want to go modify them, all of the expertise and all of the knowledge that you need to modify them sits there. And so customers experience what they refer to as vendor lock. And so with an open system, you really maintain an open business model as well. And so that help keep, helps keep the price down. It also makes uh, makes for a confident work group. I mean, the advanced group that you have, you're just saying, bring on all comers. We're the best. <laughs> yeah. So for us, open systems is really the way of life for us. And when we look at a problem, we always think about, okay, what's the best way to solve this for our customer? We recognize that we don't have all of the skills and all of the capabilities that are going to be needed to solve these problems. And we work with many different partners to bring new capabilities and at the heart of all of that is having an open system so that you can bring in new capabilities affordably and address the customer's needs. I was doing some research before this interview, and I came across these uh, group of four words, must mainstream the mainframe. <laughs> and so what's happening here is, is, is many systems that were mainframe usually locked in proprietary. What you're trying to do is make that transition and make it modular and flexible. Yeah, if you look back over time, and, and I started doing this work in the 80s, and back in the 80s when we were designing complex systems, the real limiting factor was the size of memory that you had in a computer. And so we were working with Yuck 7 computers that had 128K of memory, and you really had to design your system to fit into a tiny little box. And the smartest person in the room could do with the fewest amount of keystrokes. Wasn't that the case? Yes, and you had to design complex interfaces yeah. so that you could meet the timing requirements. And so that was, you know, 
30 years ago. And now today, with the advent of all the computing power that we have available to us, you can really look at the system with kind of a blank sheet of paper from an architecture perspective. And that enables you to modularize functionality and create components that are easy to use over and over again and update when you bring in new capabilities. So what the software developers would talk about is uh, APIs and structuring the APIs so they can be flexible for future systems. Correct. Yeah. And one of the things that we do, for instance, uh, we develop a fair amount of command and control software. And we have a thing called the Lidos Enterprise Architecture Framework. We refer to it as LEAF. What we do with LEAF is we've constructed a series of command and control software capabilities that are modularized with open APIs that you can use for all kinds of command and control applications. And when I hear command and control, I think of system integrity and security. And so it's one thing to be able to do it for Joe's Donuts, another thing to do it for the DOD. So this is maintains high system integrity as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. All of our customers, many of our customers are looking for mission critical and safety critical applications. So we work very hard to make sure from an integrity perspective and from a resiliency perspective that we know what the software is going to do and that we understand how it's going to behave. And then we also understand if it's not behaving properly, if somebody has hacked into it, we, we're capable of identifying that. So does this approach... Um put your customers in a position where they can take advantage of all this innovation that's just exploding everywhere. Yes. And and one of the things that has happened over time is threats have changed extremely fast. And so there's some of the traditional threats. If you think about missiles and different kinds of weapon systems, they're changing on a much quicker pace. The cyber threat changes every day. And so what our customers are looking for is a system where they can integrate new sensors and new weapons to deal with the fast-paced threat. And that's the only way to do it, because if you're locked in one specific type of vendor, you're not going to be open to new technologies, are you? Correct. Great. We're going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Jamie Stevenson, Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lido. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Faster, Better, Cheaper, Maximizing Open Systems in Government, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT backend. Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back to the discussion, Faster, Better, Cheaper, Maximizing Open Systems in Government. Sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Jamie Stevenson, Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Now, a couple weeks back, I was in Utah driving down there and saw a big billboard, and it said, uh, bigger isn't better, better is better. <laughs> and so along the theme of cheaper, better, faster. So why is this approach open system? Why is it better? Yeah, from a better perspective, it kind of gets back to the threat changing. And as the threat changes... Many of our customers need to get new sensors out into the field, get new capabilities out into the field to pace those threats. 
So from a better perspective, if you look at legacy systems, the acquisition timeline would often be, you know, three to seven years. And with an open system, you can actually get new capabilities out there in days sometimes. And so it's really been able, I know that's more of a faster thing than a better thing, but from a better perspective, it enables you to get capabilities that pace those threats. We talked earlier about older systems in the 80s, and, and even 10 years ago, people talked about technology refresh. And I think the idea of technology refresh is, is very, very important. In fact, I would think an open system would facilitate technology refresh in an easier basis than the old way. Yeah, one of the things we do when we look at an open system is we decouple the hardware from the software. And so once you decouple it, you're enabled uh, to bring new hardware in without re-architecting the system, without redoing the system. And so as computers get faster, which they always do, you can bring in new computing capability, which sometimes opens up new capabilities with respect to signal processing and things of that nature. So with an open system, you've decoupled the hardware and software, and you get the benefits of new hardware as it comes along. So you can sever the connection. It's severable software, so it allows that connection. It's designed to be severed so you can improve it and change it quickly. Yes. I would say that's a better capability there. It's got to be better if you can improve constantly because there's so many new threats coming out, new innovations and software and types of servers and memory. It has to be changing, and that must be a challenge in this, this whole world of open systems. It's very challenging, and one of the things, there's a lot of work that goes into coming up with the standards. One of the contracts we have is with AFRL, the Air Force Research Lab, and it's called MOST, and it's a mission system, open architecture, science and technology effort, and we're working with several industry partners and the Air Force to define the standards. And you, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure the standards are right so that everybody that's going to build to them can actually integrate their capabilities. So yes, it's uh, making something work that simply is often very complex. Sounds like Stephen Jobs, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> there might be a little bit of that. I went to your website and I heard about the Council on Excellence in Systems Engineering, and that's really what it is. So better means excellence, better means more flexibility down the road. So what you can do is you can have um, uh, an API that's flexible. Now, there's a lot of people are gonna say, well, hey, we have APIs too. But there's different ways to structure an API to make it flexible, isn't there? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of elegance that goes into architecture. We have a group of people in the company that we refer to as solution architects, and their tradecraft is really figuring out how to come up with an elegant system architecture that enables the incorporation of new capabilities down the road. And it's not simple. It's a, a tough thing to learn how to do, and we've got a cadre of people that do it. At AFRL, they talk about uh, cost savings, which I think we demonstrated earlier. But another key phrase is cost avoidance. It's like, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, when you move to California, you might run into X, Y, or Z. Or if you move to the mountains, you may have to have a certain type of uh, tires for your car. And so I think this type of a system can avoid costs down the road that are even hard to plan. Yeah, so one of the things that we've seen with legacy systems is that when they get into maintenance, you know, if you build a system that's going to be in the fleet for 30 years, you're going to be maintaining that system for 30 years. And over time, the maintenance cost really starts to rack up. And so the more simply you can design the system and make it easier to maintain, you can avoid a ton of maintenance costs down the road.
When I talk to software developers, they talk about software libraries and code they can reuse. It sounds like a toolbox and, and reusing a modular uh, wrench or something. It seems like this is an, all, an advantage, too. So some of the code may not be used. It could be severable or reconnected or put on the shelf and reconnected later. So this gives all kinds of flexibility. Absolutely. And one of the things that we enjoy with Leaf is command and control software shows up in a lot of different places. It shows up in military applications. We even see it in the health industry. And so we've designed that architecture in a way that we've modularized the capabilities down to a point where we can pick them up and reuse them for a various set of applications. And it looks like if you look at the DOD, they have this concept called FACE. I think it's part and parcel of what you guys have come up with in, in making systems cheaper down the road, make them flexible, and also better because you could choo- uh, choose components much more easy. Absolutely. So the Navy, the Air Force, and the Army all have similar open system architecture efforts underway, and they're all designed around how do we increase the capability we can bring out and lower the cost. And I think this originated several years ago when there was a, a budget crunch and people are saying, well, hey, hey, we can't do it the old way. <laughs> we have to change and, and, and how can we be flexible but still ensure that security is – and they were using APIs back then. But now the APIs, they seem to be structured differently to be able to set up for future developments. Yeah, I, I think back when we started, there was a fair amount of how do we tap into new hardware capabilities without re-architecting our systems And so that was a big driver. Uh, Along the way, we've realized that there's a lot of opportunity to bring in new sensors and other capabilities that having an open system enables you to do. So budget is always going to be a driver. No matter Mm -hmm. how much money you think there is out there, there never seems to be enough. So making sure you can design your systems to avoid costs and lower costs is always going to be smart. So open architecture, does that uh, is it in the same category as, as like model-based architecture or modular architecture, the same category or different concepts here? They're related. Uh, you can use model-based architecture within an open architecture approach to develop some of your systems. So there's a lot of tools out there today where you can lay out a design in a tool and then automatically generate code based on that design that you've laid out in a tool overarching all of that is an open architecture kind of approach. So it's just a a conceptual approach to reducing costs and making things better for current systems. Yes. And and you could also build yourself a closed system with some of those model-based tools too. Hmm. So there's there's a Venn diagram there, but there's some areas that overlap and some areas that are separate. We're going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Jamie Stevenson, Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Faster, Better, Cheaper, Maximizing Open Systems in Government, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT backend. Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back to the discussion, Faster, Better, Cheaper, Maximizing Open Systems in Government, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today, Jamie Stevenson. Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. 
You know, in the federal government, it's not unusual to measure transition in terms of years. It sounds like I need a sundial or something, you know? <laughs> People rarely put a price tag on this, though. I mean, it's expensive to do it that way. It's obvious that an incumbent vendor will not release um, its uh, little monthly revenue without a fight. And I think this is the fight we're in, is, is making a transition, doing things differently in order to save money in the long run for the federal government. Yeah, many of our customers have forced the fight. Um, they've been paying big bills for a long time, and they've actually gone off and done a lot of the heavy lifting to open up their systems and to find open architectures and force the fight because they had to. I mean, they had to lower the cost. They had to lower acquisition costs. They had to lower maintenance costs. So many of the customers realize how important this is and are willing to make the upfront investment to go off and achieve it. Yeah, in, uh, in some worlds they call this life cycle and software development life cycle cost. And, and, and incumbent vendors can, can resist that term and resist looking at long-term costs for these things. It, it sometimes it has to, the, the, the customer itself has to force it, like you said, has to force, what is the actual cost of the system over the last 10 years? And then be millions of dollars. Yeah, millions is the starting point. They can get very expensive to maintain over their life. And one of the things that we've realized with the open systems approach is that not only can you maintain them easier, but throughout their life, you can integrate new capabilities easier, which makes them more relevant and, and more usable out in the field. So it, it does a couple of things. It solves a big cost problem, solves a maintenance problem, and also you can integrate new capabilities as you go. Uh, when I think about uh, software modules, I think of segments, and I think of... Um, you know, this, this word, the medical terms, it's called interoperability. It seems to be very, very big over in HHS and hospital software. But interoperability has a lot more effect than just HHS. I mean, this is what we're seeking for here. That's why the API is more flexible to achieve interoperability, which can reduce cost. Yes, and back to the architecture thing, you know, when you're laying out a system and you're partitioning functionality, you really want to make it modular in a way so that the functionality is self-contained so that as you introduce new capabilities, you don't have to upgrade every module. You want those modules to kind of stand on their own. And when you bring in a new capability, only have to update the ones that are affected by it. And the smaller that number is, the faster you can do it and the cheaper it is to do it. When you look at large systems, uh, I once knew a software developer who had a background in uh, ecology <laughs> from UVA, and he was one of the best systems developers ever because he understood relationships of, he called it an ecosystem. And so I think what you have is an ecosystem where there's a lot of different dependencies and a lot of different organizations, and there may be software tools that have to integrate with others. And so um, the whole idea of a better architecture can allow for the ecosystem to allow for the better speed and reducing cost. Absolutely. When you're laying out how you want the system to come together, you need to have the big picture of how it's going to look in the end, you know, begin with the end in mind sort of thing, and then in, lay out uh, a design that enables you to bring in new capabilities along the way. And as we mentioned earlier, that's non-trivial. I mean, doing a simple, elegant design takes a lot of complex hard work. When I think of technology today and uh, everyone seems to be talking about the Internet of Things and sensors and devices, the Air Force Research Lab is certainly interested in all kinds of sensors and airplanes. Uh, but in that area of IoT, there's, there's uh, problems with standards and issues. And I think that maybe that's what your LEAF is trying to address, come up with some standards for open systems. Is that right? Yeah, LEAF is, is, fits within some of the open standards that exist today. I'd say the most work that we're doing with ARFRL we do some work on the face side of things, 
that's all about advancing the standards around open systems. And, and we're working with other industry partners and our customers to define the standards so that each of the different services can enjoy this kind of system moving down the road. And the DOD has white papers now on open systems architecture themselves, don't they? They do. It, it really has caught on quite a bit. And many of our customers have enjoyed great savings already and have been able to bring in new capabilities in a much shorter time period. And so it, it really is getting a lot of traction. And so that's one of the reasons we make big investments in making sure we design systems that way. One, uh, one concept I heard, I think, is uh, building for the future, especially if you have children and you think about what their future should be, probably should uh, entail some form of college or something or maybe some kind of financial plan for the future. But I think one way to look at this is, is look at what's going to happen three or four years down the road and open systems like you have. It allows for competition. It allows your company to prove itself every day in reducing costs, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of it's sort of a put your money where your mouth is kind sure of thing. Is. <laughs> and so if you start talking about an open system, you better make sure you can bring great capability to your customers because it really does open up the competitive field. And so we're pretty confident that when we meet with a customer, we understand what their needs are and that when we provide them an open system, we're going to be able to partner with whoever we need to partner with or bring capabilities we already have to meet their needs. So looking four or five years down the road, where do you see this whole idea evolving into? I think it's taking good hold now, and I think you'll see more and more open systems down the road. I think that you'll see as things like machine learning and artificial intelligence become more and more popular, I think you'll see architectures evolve to incorporate those capabilities as well. So I think, you know, if you start thinking down the road and where we're going, for instance, I, I suspect there'll be a lot more autonomous vehicles fighting in our warfare down the road. I think you'll see architectures that have adapted to accommodate autonomy, artificial intelligence, machine learning. I think that's where it will go. Over at the Air Force, they talk about uh, MI, but they talk really about M2M, machine to machine. And they're looking at different sensors on aircraft that can communicate to avoid collisions and save money on all kinds of problems down the road. So I think when machines communicate with the machines, they can have proprietary, it has to be some kind of a standard system or it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it, it gets really complex really quickly when you think about the amount of machine to machine communication that has to occur. We build an autonomous ship for the Navy and the number of computers on there that have to communicate with each other and the number of ships that you may be interacting with when you're out there all by yourself becomes a pretty complex problem pretty quickly. And so having the right architecture is really important. So just someone sitting at a desk with a checklist is not going to work because it's so complex and so many sensors out there. It has to be structured in an environment that's open, so it's flexible as well. It saves money for the federal government. Absolutely. Okay. I'd like to thank today's guest, Jamie Stevenson, Chief Technology Officer, Advanced Solutions Group at Lidos. I'm John Gilroy on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Lidos Open Systems. Thank you for listening to this week's Open Systems Insight Show, sponsored by Lidos on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire program can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Open Systems. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT back end. 
Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize.